Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello, fam, and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. If you like what we do and you want to help support the Reclaim Me podcast to continue to operate and to continue to bring you weekly podcasts, please head to the show notes of this episode where you can sign up to be a part of the cheer squad on Patreon. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could head there and have a look. And if you can support, that would be amazing too. If you can't, that's okay. Simply rating, reviewing on whatever app you're listening to or sharing it on your social media, it helps so tremendously to get the word out about this podcast and make sure that people at all levels are listening to lived experience because it is so important. Now, today's guest is an amazing woman from Australia, and I cannot wait to have this conversation or have you listen to it. M is such an incredible person, and I've just feel so honored to have been able to not only meet her, but also be able to help share her story in her words in full. So I am just absolutely thrilled to have M. Campbell Ross on today. Let's get to the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Today I'm joined by Emily Campbell Ross. Welcome. Hi. Welcome, Emily. I'm so happy to have you on. Do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? You're coming to us from Australia, but whereabouts are you coming from? Um, so I am coming from the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, which is Darug and Gundungurra land. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to have another guest on from the Blue Mountains. Jake Burgess was also on a long time ago and, and he was coming to us from the same land, from the Blue Mountains region of New South Wales as well. It is so gorgeous. I, it is. I cannot wait to come up for a visit and it's good to know that you're there because now I can make somebody come hiking with me. Yeah, and I've got a really nice spare room. You're welcome to have any time. I'll take you up on that. I'm so excited. Amazing. <laughs> Do you mind giving us a bit of an insight into who you are as M? Sure. Um, so I'm M. Um, I have no idea what to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's such an awkward question, I know. <laughs> I have no hobbies. No, There's nothing interesting about me. Uh, uh, <laughs> Okay, no, so I'm M, and I studied an undergrad of uh, international relations and politics, um, and then I worked in Canberra uh, in the kind of political Australian public service sphere for a little while, um, but I did about a year of it and then thought, no, this is not for me, um, and now I'm back at back at uni studying to be a teacher, and um, I'm working in a school. Um, I love to travel. I have a dog called Margot. Um, she's a greyhound. She's very dumb. <laughs> um, yeah, 
that's me in a nutshell. I love that so much. And yeah, I love, like, I remember watching you on Instagram recently traveling through Vietnam, which is one of my most favorite countries to have ever visited in my life. And I was just filled with so much jealousy watching you have the time of your life. Oh, it was so good. Vietnam was, um, yes, a very good chapter of my life. And I loved it as well because similar to Colombia for me, it's these countries that like, it's so similar to Australia as well, I guess, where like the the scenery changes so drastically from city to city. You have this perception of what Vietnam would look like, but then you go down south and it's like you go, you re- reach these sand dunes and beaches. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the only kind of ideas of Vietnam I had ever been given was from Forrest Gump. So um (laughs) which is a little bit uncultured I will admit um but I've really had my eyes opened um so that was nice yes I love it and I I just like one of my most favorite cultural experiences is yeah being in Hanoi and learning how to cross the road with the thousands and thousands and thousands the rite of passage (laughs) (laughs) it's forever one of my most favorite memories I actually met one of my best mates Matthew on a uh rooftop there um, oh, so he's yeah, he the right up, place. Yeah, we've been like friends since we were traveling and crossed paths there for over ten years now. So it's pretty cool. Oh, lovely. I know. So, but that's a sign for me to that I'm old. A and B, I need to travel more. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like Emma, you, I came across your story because I remember I was looking on the news and I saw this article and I was just so pissed off by the way that this case was portrayed. And I started to make a few different reels about how ridiculous it was. Um, And then I remember you commented on it and you said I was the victim in this case. And I was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I hope I've said the right things. But I was so happy to be connected to you. And you sent me a message and you said the nicest things about how, how much what I was saying had resonated and you were really happy to see it being portrayed in that way. So that's kind of how we got connected, but I've, I've kind of left, I guess, a little bit of, of what that news story and everything out. So that's how I came across you, but I don't kind of want to give away, I guess, the story. Yeah. So where were you in your life when this, when your story begins? Um. Okay. So to kind of get into that, I need to go back a little bit and just give you some context from uh, the pre kind of the leader. So um, in 2021, I graduated from my undergraduate degree and um, moved up to Canberra. And when I moved up to Canberra, I moved on the day that New South Wales went into lockdown. So I had to, into the second lockdown, the big one. Um, So I had to go into quarantine. So I went into a two-week quarantine. And I was single, I was hot, and I was in a new city with a whole lot of new dating options. So I downloaded, and I was bored. I was in quarantine for two weeks. So I downloaded, I think, Hinge and Tinder or something. Um, And I was just getting matches left, right, and center. And so I started talking to this guy called Tom. And Tom was the first person I went on a date with after I came out of quarantine. The date was fine. I wasn't blown away. I wasn't completely turned off. I just was kind of like, mm-hmm. Um, but from his end, it seemed he was very interested because he asked me on a, a few more dates and then he started you know, coming over and we um we tried to sleep together, but he had erectile dysfunction. He just like could not could not get it up. Um and so we never had we never actually had, you know, penis and vagina intercourse. We kind of did other things and it was mostly him doing things to me and stuff like that, but we never actually had full on sex. Um and when Canberra went into their lockdown, I had kind of gotten a bit overwhelmed with him because I was still seeing other people. But he'd started to tell people that I was his girlfriend and he had, like, started, like, you know, wanting to drive me home from work every day and, and 
and he'd started kind of being a little bit more possessive and I just wanted to have fun. Like I just wanted to get out there and meet a bunch of people and you know, expand my social circle in Canberra. So I said to him, because I hate rejecting people, it, it makes my heart hurt. So yeah. I did not want to do that. So I said to him, like, look, we're going into lockdown. Things have been a bit weird with us. Why don't we take this two weeks just to, like, have a think, have a breather, and we'll revisit this. And he said, yep, that sounds good. And I think he'd kind of gotten the message that I was tapping out because when the two weeks came around, he said, yeah, I'm not ready to be in a relationship. And I was like, cool, that's great. Close that chapter, move on. Like I'm pretty sure I was talking to another guy that night, you know, so it was it was kind of water under the bridge, didn't care. Yeah, living your best life. Yeah, exactly right. Being a young, hot, single woman in a new city where she, yeah. Wants to meet and have fun and be her own exactly sexual right. self as well. Absolutely. I'm exactly right. <laughs> um, flash forward to December 2021. I am working in an embassy. Tom and I have kind of kept in contact. Like we followed each other on all the social medias and everything, but we hadn't really spoken. Anyway, I was working in this embassy and I was getting sexually harassed at work. And it wasn't, obviously all sexual harassment is serious, but it wasn't like, wasn't anything physical it was all just kind of you know comments and funny looks and stuff and making you feel um, like uncomfortable at work and making me feel uncomfortable exactly and work had for a while been kind of my my safe space it had been my my place that I could go and I could put my creativity and my brain power to use and it was just an outlet and I liked it and it was my first real job in the real world I liked being important and I liked wearing the fun outfits and I liked all of that. Um, but then I started getting sexually harassed and I didn't have that space anymore. And instead of going to work and feeling like I was really useful, I would go to work and feel really scared. So I started falling apart outside of work. I just mentally was a big wreck. Um, and I put on my story one afternoon a bouquet of flowers that my housemates had given me and I captioned it like, tough day, lucky I have the best housemates or something like that. And Tom, Thomas L of Canberra, um, he replied to the story and he said, um, like, you okay? Like, do you want to talk about it or something? And I said, oh, no, like, it's fine. He said, okay, well, I'm here for you. And I was like, cool. And then I remember we, we kept chatting and it, it, Eventually, I told him, like, I'm being sexually harassed at work. And he said, oh, like, let me take you out for a beer. That's so terrible. Like, I'm here for you. I'm a friend. I'm a shoulder, like, shoulder to cry on. Da, da, da. So I was like, okay, like, cool. Like, I would really like to have support at the moment. So, yeah, let's go get a beer. But I didn't want him to think it was a date. Um, so I made one of my housemates come with me as well. Um, and we went and got a beer with him. And he was kind of still as bland and dull as he was the first time around. So I just like, I wasn't really interested in having any kind of further interactions with him. But I have this terrible habit of getting drunk and being like, should I take it back? Um, So every time I went out, which was often in Canberra, um, I would end up texting him and being like, what are you doing? And he would kind of be like, I'm out too, or I'm here or whatever. And we would end up going back to my place. And we did that maybe three or four times. None of those times we slept together. None of those times we even tried to sleep together. I think we kissed once, but it was like a drunken, like little passion. Then I was like, get off me. I'm going to sleep. So it wasn't like It wasn't sexual. It was just like drunk friends that shared a bed. It was a very weird situation, but there there was just no attraction for me. I just was not attracted to him. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so then I had him kind of like as this weird friend that I would see occasionally but never sober, and as soon as I woke up, I'd always be like, oh, my God, why is Tom in my bed again? Emily, why are you like this? Um, 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But yeah, it was just like, it was nothing ever more than that. And then one night I decided I wanted to be really reckless. Um, Cause as I said, I was like spiraling out. So I was just starting to do stupid things for no particular reason like I was it was like I was just lashing out um and trying to make issues for myself that I had to fix I don't know I can't explain it more than that but I decided I wanted to do MDMA just like I don't even know what day of the week it was it was not a weekend it was like a Wednesday and I had work in the morning and I was like fuck it let's do MDMA and so I messaged uh so my housemate was like yeah I'll do it with you and we messaged a couple people and we like no one had any MDMA. Canberra had like an MDMA shortage, one of the dealers said. So there was just no MDMA. And so I was like, hold on, I'm gonna message Tom because I know that Tom like is connected in that area. Yeah. Um uh, so I messaged him and he was like, um, no, I don't, but I have uh weed and I can come over, we can get high. And I was like, okay, fine. Like that. We can do that. That's fine. I'm not really a big weed smoker. I'm more of a, like a get drunk and be silly gal more than like a stoner gal. gal. So he came over and I cooked dinner. Um, but by the time, because I had cooked risotto and I had been putting red wine in the risotto. Um, or maybe it was white wine. I'd been putting wine in the risotto, but I'd also been drinking the wine it was kind of like a little bit for the pasta, a little bit for me, a little bit for the pasta, a little bit for me. <laughs> and the time he arrived, I was lit. I was super drunk. Um, and then I opened another bottle of wine and just kept drinking. Um, and we had dinner and we went outside and had a smoke and he had like a vape pen. So I had this vape pen. Well, not me. He had it. And he was like, 
here you go, have a crack at it. And I like did it like five times, but I thought it wasn't working because no smoke was coming out. Because when you smoke a joint or you like rip a bong, wow, I sound like such a drug addict, but I swear I'm not. But, you know, there's a lot of smoke and there was no smoke coming out. So I was like, it's not working. And so I was like, fine, I give up. You know, I'm pretty lit. It's fine. I don't need to be high. And then he pulled out the jungle juice. And I was like, oh, great. I know jungle juice like the back of my hand. Give it to me. I'll be fine. And I just like hit the jungle juice. He's like, you sniff it. Anyway, so I sniffed the jungle juice. And I got really high because that's what happens when you sniff jungle juice. But I didn't come back down. So it seemed that actually the marijuana had been working. I just was not aware of it. So I like went to this really intense high and I didn't come back down. So I was like, fucked. And I said, like, oh, I need to go inside. So we went inside and we put on the movie Spirit, the one about the horse. Yeah. Um, it's my favorite movie. Well, it was until that fateful night. But anyway. Um, so we went inside and we were watching Spirit, and I was I was just I was cooked. Like I thought I could understand because you know how like the horses neigh at each other. I thought I could like understand what they were saying. Like it would be like, nay. And I would be like, oh my God, he's saying, leave, you need to escape. And I'd be like, I can translate. It was fucked. I was so high. Anyway, so at some point I was like, I got to go to bed. Yeah. Because this is not good. This is like, I'm, I'm in a bad state. So Tom was like, yeah, copy that. Um, I'm going to stay up and keep smoking. And I was like, Mikasa, Sukasa, you know, do what you want. Um, I went up to bed and then I woke up a few hours later. Actually, I, I don't know how much long later, but I woke up later and uh, his hands were in my pants. What was he like during this time? Like, you know, you're, you're explaining kind of like how high you were and your process and everything, but what was he like during that time? Was he, was he also like equally high? I mean, he's obviously no. brought these things to the house or was he – kind of one of those people that's like a, the purveyor of th- such things and then they only have a tiny little bit and or they so don't, I don't seem to be affected or yeah I don't I don't know how much he did um I don't know how high he was but from my opinion from what I could tell he was not high like yeah he was nowhere I don't think anyone on the planet was near as high as me that day so um I mean, maybe my judgment was a little bit blurred in that moment, but I don't think he was high. And I mean, I think like, as well, like yeah, I don't mean so much as in like how much he was affected by that, but like what was his demeanor to you like? Was he this like friendly kind of, oh, you want to go inside and watch TV, I'll put on what you want and I'll help you? Was that the kind of vibe he was giving off? Or was yeah, he just that was kind of the vibe. And then like, you know, he like pulled me down so that my head was in his lap so I could lie down because I was saying I was tired and felt funny. So, you know, he was being very much like the carer role. So, yeah, that was that was kind of how he was acting. Um, do you feel like him doing things like that, like even putting your head in his lap to try and, in inverted quotes, like care for you, do you feel like that was almost trying to push a boundary with you as well in that moment now looking back? I'm not sure. If he was trying to push a boundary, I just think he didn't know boundaries at all. Mm. Um, Like I think that in his mind there was absolutely nothing wrong with pushing my head into his lap. But looking back on it now, you know, we weren't in a relationship. I was very high and he pulled my head into his lap. So there is issues with that. But I think in the moment he did not. And I think even now, probably, if he were to get on this podcast, he would probably say, no, like, I was just doing it to look after her. Like, I don't think he would see it as inappropriate, how like how we may see it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've gone to bed. Um, you're, like, feeling quite high. You're feeling a bit gross. You know, you've said to him that he can hang around and if he wants to smoke more, he can. Um, and then you go to bed and you wake up and he's – starting to assault you basically. Mm. 
where does it go from there? When you wake up, are you like fully conscious or are you kind of coming out of a bit of a haze? I'm groggy. So I woke up and I just remember thinking like, like the fuck? And I I knew it was Tom in the bed. Well, I suspected it was Tom in the bed because who else would it have been? I assumed it was Tom in the bed. But I kind of thought like, what is he doing? Like, why does he think, why, like, why is he doing that? And I, it was just like, my mind was kind of like, what's going on? Why is this happening? Um, and I completely just froze. Yeah. Like, so you've come, like, you've come out of like a bit of a haze. So you're kind of coming to, yeah. but you're not like, you're not wide awake the moment that you wake up, but you're no. feeling and the I effects that, still a little bit. Yeah. And I think that is maybe, part of the reason why I froze rather than reacted was because I was still waking up. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Whereas I think if he had made a move, I would have been like, like if he'd made a move to a conscious me, I would have been like, the fuck are you doing? Get off me. But because I was coming to, I was like, what's happening? I really um, understand that feeling because I remember when I woke up when I was being sexually assaulted, that was the same kind of feeling. Like I remember having this, and trigger warning, sorry. He had like his flaccid penis in my mouth. And I remember like trying to move my head, but it was to try and like get him out because I couldn't breathe. You know what I mean? But I'll mm. never f- really forget the the moment between consciousness and unconsciousness and me waking up and still feeling the effects of the alcohol that I'd had, but being aware almost or coming to the realization something was happening. And it's a really yeah. hard thing to describe to people that have never experienced that, yeah. that intercedent moment because your brain's not working at a level where you get it fully, but you do get it a bit. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, like not to say not to say that to put words in your mouth, but is that no, kind no, of no, not at all. Sex? I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, because it is. It's just fucking. It's a weirdest thing, and I, I still like almost can remember that. Fifteen years later, I can almost remember that like visually and viscerally. Yeah, that's one of my strongest memories. Even though that was such a transitional thing, do you do yeah. you feel that as well, or has that been a memory 100%. lost for you? No, 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 no. I remember it vividly. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I just remember kind of having no idea how to handle the situation, but also not being fully aware if the situation was happening either. Mm. Like, I wasn't sure if my mind was playing tricks on me. Like maybe I was dreaming or like, I just wasn't, I was so disoriented that, yeah, it was just jarring. And, like, as you're coming to, like, he's got his, you're frozen, he's got his hands down your pants, does he continue from there? Are you, like, still just frozen? So I was, yeah, I was frozen. But um, as I was kind of becoming more aware, I rolled onto my back. Um, I'm not really sure why because I did not want it to continue. I was not interested. Like, as I've said before, like, I was not attracted to this man. Um, And so, like, I did not want it to continue, but I rolled onto my back, I think, kind of to to let him know I was awake. But as I rolled onto my back, he just, like, took that as the all clear to go because he started, like, fingering me so intensely. Like, it was, like, it, it felt like I was being punched. It was so intense, but I went even more rigid. Like it felt like I had like just done like a really intense, heavy workout because all my muscles just like seized up. And um, yeah, then he went like went down on me and I still was just like frozen stiff. And to take my undies off, I, I pushed my bum into the bed. Like I remember that was like I was saying to myself like get him off you but I couldn't get him off me. And the only little way I had of fighting back in that moment, all that I could bring myself to do was just push my bum down into the bed um, to try and like stop him getting my undies off. But he just yanked and yanked and yanked until they came off. Um, And then, yeah, he like went down on me and he had to kind of pull my legs apart because I had tried to like keep my legs together and pulled them apart and went down on me. And then um, he like, came up on his knees 
and like yanked me down the bed. And I just knew I was like, okay, I'm about to get raped. Um, and yeah, and he did. And he raped me. So horrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's um horrific. It's really horrific. And it's also quite confronting and scary to think that this person, while you were conscious and consenting months and weeks before that, had the erectile dysfunction. But in this no moment. No issues with. Yeah. With the All he needed was they to not want it. That yeah. is a really disturbing insight into the psyche of this person who has. Yeah absolutely no regard for consent for you for your body for your welfare um mm-hmm. and i think it's really important as i well, like for people listening to understand you know some people say like no is a full sentence and things like that and it's not comprehensive of the sex education that people need and mm-hmm. i think when people are frozen like sometimes they don't even have the ability to move their body you yeah. know and you've you've like you're so strong and your body was trying so hard to protect you and you're trying everything and for you to be able to like even try and hold your legs together like push your bum down I think is just a testament to your sheer will and strength that's just an amazing thing that you've tried to do and for him to not even question that not the whole time as well but especially in those moments it's quiet yeah and so was there a moment after the assault, like what was the aftermath of this like? So I so I went limp when he started raping me. I just went, like I was like a rag doll. Um, and he at some point, it must have been a couple minutes after he'd started, he pulled out and I think he was going to like flip me over or something, I'm not sure. But I managed to, like, I remember thinking, like, this is your chance to escape. You've got this moment where he's not in you, you know, like, do something. And so all I could get out was, wait, wait, wait. And he stopped and was like, what? And I said, I just need a minute. That took me by surprise. And he laughed and said, oh, sorry. And um, then I just got, I like in this, you know, the speed of light, I got up, grabbed undies from my top drawer and ran to my housemate's room and just left him in there. Um, And once I got to my housemate's room, I just like barged in and she was like, what, what's wrong? And I said, Tom's just raped me. Um, And so she went and told him, she went and, went into the room and said that I was going to stay in her room and then she texted him and said, we think you should go home. My housemate and I went straight into my uh, bedroom and there was a big blood stain on the sheets and so we stripped the bed because I just was horrified and I went into, I skipped denial. I went, like I did not have a stage of like that didn't happen. I was like, that just happened. That happened to me. I, I've just been raped. I've been assaulted. Um, but I went straight into, I don't want to think about it. Like get any evidence of it happening away from me. I don't want to see it. And so we bundled up the evidence and put it in the washing machine on like a hot wash with a bunch of, we're just trying to get the stain out. But I wish we hadn't. Um, but yeah, so we did that and then she slept in my bed. I don't know why we slept in my bed, but we put different sheets on the bed and she slept in my bed. And then in the morning I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm no worries. I'm all good. Yeah. Like we're sweet, you know, last night didn't even happen. It's so fine. And I went straight to work and within an hour I was crying on my colleague's office floor saying, I can't believe what's just happened. Like, I don't know what I meant to do. And so she said, you know, like, go home, take a breather, figure out what you want to do. So I went home and I just had everybody telling me you need to report it. Like, it's so important that you report it. Like, it's very, very important. I was like, no, I'm not going to report it. Nothing would happen. It's just not a good idea. 
And then I get this text message from Tom. And he says, I'm so sorry for what I did last night. My Like my behavior was unacceptable and there's no excuse for it. Like that kind of, along those lines. And I remember just thinking, oh, so he knows. He knows what he's done. It wasn't a like blurry lines, he didn't get it situation. He knew. He knew what he did. He made the decision. Now he's feeling shit about it. Okay, this changes things. But I still was like, I don't think that's enough evidence for this to ever go anywhere in court. Like he could have been talking about how he got too high. Like who knows, you know? So I decided not to, I was like, I'm not going to report it. And I continued to just fall apart. And um, like it was manifesting itself in like all the obvious ways. I stopped eating and I was drinking every night. And I was, you know, making really degrading, self-degrading comments um, about myself, obviously. Um, And I just was kind of having anxiety attacks all the time. And, you know, my, my family have this joke that, you know, 9 p.m. is M's midnight because I am a good sleeper. I'm a great sleeper. I can sleep anywhere, anytime, and I'll sleep for hours. Like I can sleep on planes. I can sleep like upside down. I can, I'm literally, I'm the best, world's best sleeper. You put a movie on, I'm asleep in 10 minutes. Like it's just, it's famous that I'm a good sleeper. I stopped sleeping, like just stopped. Like I would get maybe 45 minutes a night. Um, and I was having sleep paralysis all the time. Like if I did manage to get to sleep, I'd be jolted awake five minutes later because I'd have sleep paralysis. So that he was like in the room, I'd have sleep paralysis. Not that it's like a demon at the end of my bed. I would have sleep paralysis that he would be in my doorway. And then I would get, yeah, I would freeze up and then be jolted awake a bit later. Um, so I just was like, I was falling apart of the seams. And this is in the the like week and a half after the assault. Like this is immediate response. Um, And so I texted him one night at like 11 p.m. because I was so frustrated that I couldn't get sleep. Like I was just over it. I wanted to go to fucking sleep. And I texted him and said like, can you sleep at night? Because I can't and you're like what you have done has made me not be able to sleep. And I just don't know how you've been able to do this to me. And that, like, I just want to know if you're suffering as well or if it's just me that's suffering. And he replied back this, like, bullshit text message. Like, so, like, he was just being the martyr, being like, oh, I can't believe I've done this to you. I wish I could take your pain. I feel so terrible. I'm a bad person. I only do what I want. I wish I was better, but I'm not. And I read it and I was like, fuck me, you're a tosser. Like, who raped someone and then is like, I'm the victim? Are you kidding me? Like, I just was like, shut up. So I replied, some feisty comment was like, I trusted you and you raped me. You know, you're the worst along those lines. Um, and I, like two or three days later, I was like, hold on. I have this text message of him being like, me saying you raped me and him being like yeah I did Soz so I went to the police and I just walked in and was like I was raped I need to make a statement and the police officers came and took my statement and that got the ball rolling it's really interesting as well the journey that you've just described because as well like like you said like you didn't go like like you said you didn't go through a denial phase but when he responded to you and made it clear to you that he knew what he was doing was wrong at the time that he was raping you, rather than it being that thing where it's just like, maybe he didn't mean to, maybe, you know, like, but that's the dialogue that we've all got, I think, as women ingrained into us as well. It's like, mm. like we don't blame people for things that, that they do. It's like you... But I, I just find it really interesting that that was that kind of journey because I can really empathize with that as well. But in hearing him actually say it in the beginning and acknowledging that what he did was wrong makes it now more real. And yeah. then for him to actually admit that and for you to get that bit of evidence 
like it sounds like that was just a really pivotal moment in you going, no, I'm going to fucking nail this dick. Like, yeah. And I, I think also the other part that made me be like, I'm going to nail this dick was that I, because I couldn't sleep, I got really angry. Yeah. And I started wanting like revenge. And I think before that point, it was like more of like a self pity that I felt like I was like, oh, like, how has this happened to me rather than like, fuck you. Why'd you do this? Yeah. And I think not being able to sleep as someone who loves sleeping, that was like the moment where it shifted where I was like, fuck you. Um, so, yeah. There's very, very real consequences are happening because of his actions. It sounds like you've yeah. reframed it from it being um, a focus on you to a focus on him. And yeah. I think that's something that we all need to remember as well, right? It's we always focus on the victims and being the perfect victim and all of those types of things. And, you know, you're drinking that night or you're doing drugs and there's this inner dialogue sometimes that we have that goes, people will dislike me because of that. I'm not the perfect victim, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but then when you turn around on it and you actually just put the hold the, a mirror up to an offender and show them the actions back at them, he raped you. That's as simple as it is. And I love that you know, you've made that flip and you've been able to go, you know what? No, I'm nailing this dick. Yeah. I walked into that police station with the thought I'm going to hold him accountable. I'm not going to sweep this under the rug. And, you know, there's been things in the past where men have not treated me right and I've swept it under the rug just to keep the peace, just to be the, you know, the, the, the sweet girl that doesn't cause a fuss, to stay quiet, to not, you know, not not make a scene. And I was like, I'm not going to let this happen this time. But initially I didn't want, I didn't want jail time because I thought we've got so much evidence. He'll, he'll plead guilty. He won't drag me through a trial. He wouldn't do that because he, he apparently feels so terrible about how he's treated me. Surely he won't put me through more trauma. So he'll plead guilty and it'll be fine. And then he'll get sentenced to, you know, whatever he gets sentenced to, maybe like a good behaviour bond or something, but at least he'll know what he did was wrong. It'll be on his record and, you know, that it'll all be done and dusted in six months. That's fine. That's what I thought would happen going into the police station. I was incredibly incorrect. <laughs> Sorry, very, I just very giggled. Incorrect. I giggled not because it's funny but because it's it's laughable how not laughing at how wrong you were, but how how understated it is and how much do we as a community and society literally just accept the fact that how arduous, how re-traumatizing and how horrible these next experiences are, even with just going to the police. Yeah. And, you know, going to the police, they the detective that took my statement and then the detective that took my case, they all said to me, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? Because it's not going to be cathartic. It's going to be a terrible time. Are you sure you want to do this? And I remember thinking, like, if it's going to be a terrible time, why don't you change it? Like, why are we not protecting victims to, like, not have a terrible time? And that's something that I've always felt disgusting about. And I feel, I understand why cops do that. They're trying to make you understand the realities of what the process you're about to enter. Mm. But when I hear those things being said, when I hear people say that, it sounds like they're trying to encourage you not to do it. Exactly. That's how I felt. I felt like they were trying to talk me out of it. I was like, I'm not being talked out of this. No way. Um, Because once I made my mind up to go into that, like, police station, there was no turning back. I was like, this is what I'm doing. And I'm like that with everything. When I decide I'm going to do something, I do it until it's done. And that was how I looked at it. And were you still living in the ACT at this time? I was. I, um, I lived there until just before the trial. Yeah, so I moved I moved back to New South Wales. I moved back to the Blue Mountains in, on January 11th and the trial started on like January 28th or something. Right. Yeah. So, so you've gone into the police station and you've made your statement. What was that process like for you? How did that come about? How did that go through? Were you immediately taken back to do a, a written statement? Were you interviewed? So I was in I was interviewed by 
two police officers not interviewed but like they they gave me I, I made a brief statement like this is what happened um this is where it happened you know then they asked me like the finer details and stuff and then they explained to me the process like a um a officer in the sexual crimes unit is going to contact you and we'll go from there and they, they walked me through it how there's going to be like an evidence in chief and um they would need to come and collect evidence um and you know they talked me through those sorts of things and then a couple of days later the sexual crimes um detective called me and said you know I've got your case and we need to bring you in to um ask some questions and then we need to do an evidence of chief and they talked me through that whole process as well so I met with her quite a few times um and she was really good we did the whole evidence in chief the, you know the in-depth um interview where they asked they went through you know every single little movement you know when he put his fingers there was it his left hand or his right hand those sorts of things I was like I don't know but you know it's due process you just got to do it so we did that and then and that was recorded and it took like four hours to record because all the tiny details that we had to like keep going through I would get through a little bit and then like need a break and then we would do a little bit more I'd need a break so that was really tough but we did it and then all the people I had mentioned this is where it started getting really overwhelming for me was because like when I was going through it it was almost mechanical like I was like I've just got to do this to get justice I've got to do this but then all the people I'd mentioned so you know like my housemates and then you know I had messaged I had messaged my best friend immediately after like I'd messaged her and said something really terrible's just happened and then I went and stayed with my another one of my really good friends I went and stayed with her a couple of days later and maybe like the day after and I had told her what happened and then you know I the people I had talked to at work I had told them what happened and everyone I had spoken to then was now involved and they had to give statements and they had to be do evidence in chief interviews and they had to like do all this shit and that's when it started getting like really real for me because I was like it's now impacting other people and that was like and like my best friend she when she she did the evidence in chief in Canberra she came up and saw me she doesn't live in Canberra but she came up and saw me and while she was there the the detectives had come in to do evidence in chief so I went with her and I wasn't allowed to be in the room obviously but you know she came out of it in tears and I was like this is affecting more than just me like the ripple effect was kind of turning into a tidal wave. Like it was just like, and, you know, my my mum was broken by this and my sister was just devastated and my brother like couldn't even really look me in the eye for a while because like he was just heartbroken. He's a protective older brother and like my dad was so angry. Like I've never heard my dad ever talk about violence before, but he said he'd love to take a baseball bat and go, bat and go find Tom and whack his knees in. Obviously he never would. Just yeah. want to put that as a disclaimer Roddy would never but you know he um it's just a thing that dad say yeah like and but it was I could feel that he was serious like he would like to take a, a baseball bat to Tom's knees um and so yeah I was just watching kind of my entire like my little web that I sit comfortably in and and I'm always comforted by and always feel feel held by was getting like getting so pulled down with me and I hated that I hated that something that was not up to me something that was happened to me against my will and that if I could take it back I would like something that that was so deeply personal and terrible was having such a terrible effect on the people I loved as well Mm. I don't know if that makes sense it does. And what did you feel like? Did you feel guilt and shame as well during that period? Like for, I guess, blowing the whistle and calling it out and seeing the ripple effects to your friends and family? Was that a feeling of guilt or embarrassment or were there multi levels that you were kind of trying, that you were going through? It was through just that time? anger. It was just anger. Yeah. And also a little bit of pity, like self pity. 
um you know there was elements definitely of me being like oh why did this have to happen to me you know Mm. um but for them for the most part I just kept thinking like fuck you you did this to me but it doesn't just affect me you know yeah like it was just powerful yeah it was just rage like I just felt rage and it's just a powerful way to frame it because I remember like on my story again like I remember when this kind of started to fall out when it was happening the the court stuff started to happen and the interviews all happened and you know the police some in uniform sometimes plain clothed usually in like big old black trench coats when they'd come over I think as I hadn't understood it properly at the time as well it was just guilt and shame I kept feeling like oh if they didn't know then it wouldn't be this situation and I kind of felt really guilty and gross about that Mm, which is why I asked that but I really like that your framing at this point is squarely at him for his actions and that's the healthy obvious and the the right thing you know his actions have done this and it you know I really resonate with that anger and I the fucking yeah I get it you've gone through to the cops the cops um have done the evidence in chief, they've interviewed you, they've interviewed everybody that you've spoken to surrounding you. Where does the process go from there? So then a couple of weeks later, he was arrested and they told me on the day we're arresting him today. And, you know, like I've got like a, I write in a journal sporadically, but generally it's when I'm highly anxious. And I wrote in my journal that day, you know, Tom's getting arrested today. I don't know how to feel. I feel good because I'm being listened to and I'm being heard, but I feel bad because what if I ruin his life was the thought process I had. But I was like, no, I can't think like that. I can't think, am I going to ruin his life? Because I haven't. He chose to do this to me. He's paying for his actions. That's not on me. I'm just holding him accountable. If he didn't rape me, I wouldn't have had to. He wouldn't be ruining his own life. That was like how I talked myself out of it. So he got arrested and I got a call the next day from the detective and she said, okay, so we've arrested him and this doesn't happen often, but he made a full confession and he can completely confess to raping you and he felt terrible and everything. And she said, that doesn't happen often. So like, you know, we can't say for sure, but I think this will be done and dusted pretty soon for you. So I was like, great. That's awesome. So the first court date, you know, the first, it's like an administrative date, but he could enter a plea on that date. I was like, cool, let's go. I got my family. I got my housemates. I got a few of my friends and we went because we wanted to see if he would, we, well, we, we assumed he would plead like guilty and that would be that. When we get then, they asked for a, like a, like a, not an extension. What's the word? Like a adjournment or something? To adjourn yeah, for yeah. another time? Yeah, for another six weeks. So I thought, okay, that's like fucking weird. What, like, for what reason? And they said that they needed more time to go over the evidence before they entered a plea. So they would keep their non not guilty plea at that time. So I was like, why would you need to go over the evidence? Like, you confessed. What more could there be? I don't get it. Anyway, so then... It keeps, so I didn't go to the next one because I was devastated that he didn't plead guilty in that one. So I was like, I'm not going to do that to myself again. And I stopped. I didn't go to any more. Four months rolled by and he was still saying not guilty and it kept being adjourned. And then finally I get this call and it was like, yep, so he's staying with not guilty. Um, This is the trial date. And I just remember thinking, wait, 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 wait. Like I didn't think we were going to trial like I thought he was going to plead guilty, but he confessed. Like, why? I don't understand. Like, what is going on? Like, and I went into this like hyper needing to control moment. So I like I was calling like legal aid all the time. And legal aid is not equipped to have that kind of phone call all the time. And I was calling Canberra Rape Crisis Centre. I was going to my psych and being like, "So I found this legislation," and she would be like, "I like." not even a registered psychologist yet I'm provisional I don't know what you're talking about and I would be like but the legislation and she'd be like what is going on and I would be emailing like 
the prosecution team and like the detective and being like, have we considered this? And they'd be like, let us do our job, you know, like back off basically. And so I, yeah, eventually I chilled out a little bit, not really, but yeah. So it, it was going to trial and the trial date was set. And, um, in the lead up to the trial, the prosecution team like prepped me on, on, you know, what it was going to be like and where I was going to be and stuff. And they were like, and you're going to be in a remote access room so you won't have to see him. And I remember just being like, uh, sorry, what? No, like I want to be in the room. They're like, why would you want to be in the room? You don't want to be anywhere near him. And I was like, actually, it's not him that I care about. It's the jury. Hmm. I want the jury to be able to see me as a person and not just someone behind a screen. Like I wanted to be them to be able to see my body language, to see that because you know the if the if the I had no idea what the defense was going for, what angle they were taking, but I was like, if they're going to question whether I'm lying or not, I want that jury to see that this has affected my entire way of being, my entire personality, who I am as a person. I want them to see that. So I wanted to be in the room. I couldn't be in the room. Apparently, it just was not an option. I pushed back so hard. What do you mean it wasn't an option? It wasn't an option, apparently. I pushed so hard, and I don't know if it came from the prosecution team or if it came from the defence, but apparently somebody requested I wasn't in the room. And I have a funny feeling I know who it was. What a fucking loser. First of all, second of all, where is the victim's rights? I'm sorry, but there are there there was an Irish case that just I saw an article on today, the day that we're recording this, and it was about the fact that four men in like a gang rape case were acquitted or the trial did not go through because the judge would not allow the victim to testify from behind a screen. She was requesting that she be moved into a different area. The judge said, absolutely not. She said, I don't think that I can testify in front of these five, four guys. So she couldn't do that. So therefore, trial's over. Trial's done. Flip, that there are is so ridiculous. many, there are so many people that have been denied the screen. There have been so many people that have felt they had to do it from behind a screen as well, though. Like you should have your own personal agency to determine what you need because the screen was created, this whole process was created to give victims agency and it was initially brought in for children. It was brought in so that children would not have to sit on a stand in front of their offenders. How Mm. dare that be now flipped on its head and you have no agency or or in, no option over this this is your testimony everyone yeah. else is getting up there why are you the only person that's not allowed to be up that is absolutely fucked up yeah and i hated the fact that he was given the choice whether or not he even wanted to comment he didn't even have to be cross-examined but i had to be cross-examined from a different room and you know the prosecutors said to me they said he's like the defense is not allowed to hound you like it's not like the movies you know he's not going to get up in your grill obviously he couldn't because like I was in a different room but like they were like he can't hound you he has to be respectful and polite and everything and then this slimy barrister like looks like he's been plucked out of medical soul literally comes and says can you describe what you were wearing I'm like, sorry, remind me of the relevance, mate. Like, what are you asking me? You want to, you know, whip back to the 50s? Like, what What are you asking me? So I was like, I was wearing pink undies and T-shirt. But, I mean, the judge did step in at that point and was like, uh, relevance, please. But also, like, I was going to say no hate on this this barrister, but actually huge hate on this barrister. He... um was so bad and like a lot of my friends not a lot but like all of the friends that were cross-examined by him all came out and was like homie doesn't know what he's doing like he just his questions and he just seemed like he was not 100% sure of what his point was 
But that's the tactic as well, though, right? So by the first question, him asking you, what were you wearing? It's so well known that that is such a hugely offensive thing to ask victims. And it throws you off. You come in there feeling maybe confident or anything. It throws you off your game. Even if that's removed, if they're like, you know, objection removed from the whatever, jury don't listen to it. The jury still heard that. So you can't really, you can't base their arguments off that, but they've still heard that. And I'm a long believer of these fucking defense attorneys that to defend slime balls like this offender, Thomas Earl, fuckwit. Um, they do this stuff intentionally. So, oh, he's going to be nice to you. No, he's going to ask you questions in a nice tone in order to throw you off. What were yeah. you wearing with a smile on his face? Okay, like that's going to do nothing but make you feel completely small, completely victim blamed. That's the intention, though, in my opinion. Yeah, because I've heard yeah, this. I think by so many was, people. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I think that definitely was his intention. Unfortunately, he just played it on the wrong person because that was like a red flag to a bull. Because I was like, um, who the fuck do you think you are? I'll <laughs> did fuck you say you that? Up. Like, no, I didn't. But I wanted to. I wish um, you did. I wish yeah. <laughs> but you know, like some of his questions, I was like, why are you bothering asking me that? Like he asked me like um also he kept apologizing he was like sorry this is a little bit uncomfortable and I was like homie why do you think I'm here like nothing's more uncomfortable than the assault so continue yeah. <laughs> oh and the other thing that pissed me off about this defense lawyer so he submitted text messages as evidence of like text messages from Tom and I and some of the text messages were like historic like they were from like back when we were seeing each other but he removed chunks. So, like, there would be text messages where, like, for example, I ended things with Tom. There was this text message of me ending things with Tom. But they removed a whole section. So it looked like Tom ended things with me and that I was angry about it. And so in the trial, I said, there is, I think you're missing a page because there's context before this that is not there. And they were like, okay, here it is, and put up a completely different text message one that was from like two months later they were like here that's the thing I was like that's not it but the judge was like stop commenting like just answer the questions that you're asked and I was like but they're putting in false evidence they're putting in like not accurate evidence so like that night I went and I found all the correct text messages and I sent them to the prosecution team and was like this is actually what was said like this they're making me seem like a scorned woman they're making me seem like I'm angry that he left me when actually the text message beforehand said hey not into it bye and then he was like kind of rude so I snapped back at him and so the way you know by removing that message of me being like I'm not interested it looked it looked like I was mad at him and it it just made me look not credible and it infuriated me, but the prosecution team was like, oh, it's not a big enough deal for us to do anything about it. But it's it's misconduct. It is. Like in my mind, I'm like, it's not a big enough deal. I'm sorry, but this person is mischaracterizing evidence in a criminal trial. Yeah. That is a big fucking deal. Yeah. To me, I thought that was like, like should this not be a mistrial? Obviously, I didn't like, want it to be a mistrial, but like, no, but like, it's not the same thing as only representing one text message. Like, I think like representing a small screenshot of a text message to try and I feel like that's maybe not the misconduct, but the fact that they're bringing another one in that is incorrect, they're doing that intentionally. And then for you to not be able to comment on that, being the one whose text messages it is, is a complete mischaracterization. It's unjust, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm sure you could have pulled your phone out then, scrolled through it and be like, this is what I actually said. It's on my fucking phone. Yeah, and I wanted to. That's exactly what I wanted to do. That's like, that's, uh, you can can use certain text messages in a strategic function. I understand that. But the lying part where they pull out the wrong one, that is fucked. That is misconduct. How dare you? Yeah, I was so angry. I was so angry. And I just like looking at a smug little face in his badly fitting suit. I just was like, oh, I hate you. Like I just, I feel like to defend a rapist who's admitted that they're a rapist and then try and manipulate the victim, you've got to be a bad person. 
be able to do that, you cannot have a moral compass. Hello, it's Maddie from the editing room, and that's where we're going to wrap up part one with M. Now, we will be back Wednesday next week with part two, so please join us then uh, and make sure that you reach out to M. Follow the show notes of this episode so that you can go and follow M and follow her campaign, There's No Justice in Community Service, which is in the show notes of this episode. I think we can all agree that there's absolutely no justice in community service, so please head there, support her. There's links in the show notes to articles, so I encourage you to deep dive more reach out to her, reach out to me. Let's get the buzz going and talk about how despicable this crime is and how despicable the treatment of M has been as well. So thank you all so much and thank you for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.